Awake in the Dream Radio with Laura Eisenhower and Dr. Dream. Raising your frequency and expanding your consciousness one guest at a time. Welcome, everyone. It is Tuesday, September 4th, 2012, and a very special evening here at Awake in the Dream Radio. I am Dr. Dream, and my co-host... Laura Magdalene Eisenhower. I just love this. This is now our second broadcast, and I mean, it's... 2012 has been an absolutely incredible year. Here we are, um, past, well past the halfway point, and it's our second broadcast. We have an amazing guest tonight. Um, I mean, it's incredible. It is incredible. I'm, I've been waiting, um, actually, for a long time to do this. It's, it's uh, absolutely thrilling because <laughs> this is Lee McCloskey. He's one of my greatest inspirations, so I couldn't be more happy to be interviewing him. It's it's incredible. And it really comes at a perfect time because we've just um, had a Labor Day weekend, a long weekend for everyone. Um, so I just know that our, our listeners are um, grounded and, and happy and really open to um, the information. But, but more than information is really the, just a lackluster word for what tonight's broadcast is going to be about. It's the energetic that's going to come from everything that Lee has to share. And I I kind of feel like we don't even need to do any more build-up, that, that, that tonight's show is so important we should just dive right in. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to introduce our guest. This show is titled The Artistry of Human Consciousness, Holographic Reflections of Our True Nature. And like I said, uh, Lee McCloskey, Lee J. McCloskey, is one of my greatest inspirations. Um, I went to his home, I believe it was... 2010, and my jaw has been to the floor ever since. Um, I cried for more than a week. It, it absolutely changed my life. It validated so much of my deep intuition and just, you know, my soul work and just really what I want humanity to wake up to and recognize, you know, because it's within us. It's, it's connecting us to our, our, our primordial origins, our, our true origins. It seems as though a stargate opened to the Divine Mother in Malibu and expressed itself through the heart, soul, and creative genius of Lee, or it was Lee himself who opened the stargate and uh, I think it was both. Um, there's artwork covering his floor, the ceiling, the spines of books, couches, lampposts. And without even knowing it, it was all done in 3D. I think this was later discovered. Um, he can tell us a little bit about that. It's just a journey. It's an experience that is so deep and profound. And when you wear the 3D glasses, the, the whole room just envelops and surrounds the person. It's like walking inside of one's own divine soul. His uh, tarot art is just mind-blowing. He's got the Codex 4. And, you know, just being there, it's, the goddess is just coming to life in the richest visual philosophy that awakens one to just the story of creation in the most interactive, transformative way. Um, it's just incredible. It's, it's a miracle on my path and for the world. So I'm so honored to know him and so grateful that he has joined us today. I wish we had hours because I, I could talk to him for so long. But we only have 90 minutes, and it's just going to be amazing. So thank you so much, Lee, for joining us today. I'm delighted, and uh, just thank you, uh, of 
course, for that introduction. It was it was beautiful, and uh, your enthusiasm, I really uh, believe, is is the key of what's happening now. That through shared enthusiasm, we're beginning to tell a more interesting story of who and what we are and what we're capable of. So, thank you. Absolutely. So, I just want to, you know, ask you. I know um, that 9/11 was a significant event for you. Uh, can you tell us about how the expression of your art changed on 9/11, and what opened up for you creatively, and uh, and what and in what way did this event shift you? 9/11, I, I think for all of us was such a remarkable moment because it was uh, a, a call, a, a type of mythic call that that was beyond the kin of anything we were familiar with, and I, I really on that day, uh, I. I really fell to my knees. I just had this, this sense of uh, exhaustion, and not on a personal level, but as a human being. There was this great sorrow in me that, that welled up, this sense of we've come this far and this is what we're going to do, a bit like a bad Hollywood film when you can't figure out what to do with the last act, you blow it all up. And I, I, I had the, the profound feeling that we're better than this. And I realized that, that the magnitude and the scale of the hatred of all the different elements, that it was the cumulative ancient dragon of all that had been essentially allowed to uh, grow out of uh, a thought form that was based on dominance and submission, on power and powerlessness, uh, really what you'd think of as the Piscean Age. And I realized in a moment that the Twin Towers were like the twin erections of the two fish of Pisces, that, that uh, essentially you had two brothers, the erection of religion and the erection of, of worldly wealth, both vying for control and insisting upon obedience. And when these fell to the ground, I, I had the epiphany that uh, what was occurring was that we were being asked to return home. And the painting you're talking about, the creative epiphany, which called itself the hieroglyph of the human soul and began on 9-11, began as uh, uh, the emergence or the eruption of, of a language called the Watcher language. And being on my knees, looking down at the floor, essentially going back almost to a child state of, well, if I can't, look to the future, then it let me look to the depth. And I started without an agenda. I mean, this is what astounds me about the whole process, is that to a great degree, very much like my tarot work, which was not something I intended to do, but once I entered the waters or entered the ideas, I realized that I didn't have the idea. The idea had me. And, and for much of the time, since 9-11 till the present uh, moment, I've, I've been working on the hieroglyph of the human soul, and the story that it, it tells us now about uh, creation, about our purpose, is uh, is a profound uh, story that, uh, as it awakens, it, it, it enlivens in me a sense that we are on the cusp of uh, really returning. You know, if you think about thesis antithesis, the twin towers, this idea of the binary polarity. Uh, finally falling back to earth where we realize that it is about the sacred and when we understand the sacred everything that is is holy and so we finally return home and that's why even the the painting in it's in in a, my studio library but it's also on linoleum and i and i think that there's an enormous metaphor there that our ancient depths are revealing themselves 
over the linoleum, meaning that the linoleum of our assumptions, the sense that the surface will hold the sacred, is not true, that actually it's the ideas and the sense of who are we then that becomes imperative. Wow. I I really I love this, Lee, and, and um, my exposure to you is um, not as extensive as, as Laura's. I had the opportunity um, about a month ago of uh, visiting you with Laura, and uh, I was absolutely blown away. Um, I've been fortunate enough to travel the world and see some of the most amazing art in some of the most amazing places in the world, and um, you are right up there in, in my mind at the top of the list, and and I don't say that lightly or or express that lightly, um, and it it was a touching experience for me. Um, I'm not one to be at a loss for words, but in in the presence of your art, which encompasses this entire room, floor, ceiling, sofa, linoleum, bookshelves, I mean everything, and it's a journey and a story, I was I was literally speechless. Um, and and so, you know, certainly I, I just want us to really dive into all this, but, but before we go really deep into it, um, your, your past in this life has um, been one that has, um, encompassed so many different activities, and and um, y- you are an accomplished actor. Um, I remember watching you on on Dallas uh, years ago. And so, one of my questions for you is, what was the the process that took you from an acting career and and Hollywood and all this, which I think we might say by and large, could be labeled if we were broad stroke generalizing as maybe, you know, sort of a surface um, experience, possibly. Um, certainly compared to what you're you're doing now as as uh, the visual philosopher and, and the artist that you are. What what was that process that and, and what was your awakening to to your perspective and, and how things are for you now, or were you always in this energy? You know, that's a great question because essentially I have always had a type of undercurrent of, of art or creation. My father was a painter, my mom was a teacher, so I grew up around imagination being valued. And it really, I, I realized that I had always felt myself an actor. I'm a natural actor. I, I, lo- I love acting, I love the theater of the psyche, I love exploring the nature of character, and it's, it's a fascinating experience to be able to step into a character who's quite different from yourself because in so doing, you release your energy and you're mentored by this other frame of, of relationship. You still hold your own identity, but you are aware of this other being. And so my my journey of, of the art and the acting was that it, it, it really began when I was studying acting in New York at the Juilliard School because... I was given a role of a, of a violent character, and I, I could not find the character um, mentally or, or through any other. I really had to find it energetically, and, and I, I saw actually a calligrapher, and he was talking about chi, of breath, prana, the connection of, of thought and breath and energy, and I thought, well, that's really the actor's uh, condition. You know, How do you connect with breath? How do you tell the truth energetically, not formally? And so I began using art, as we think of it, 
really more as a tool of creation, going back to a more ancient form or more primitive form of, of saying, I want to connect by using paint as a type of medium of emotional expression. So I started uh, you know, with my hands on the paper, my elbow, my knees. I started getting my body involved because I felt, as I think we do really in the Western body, a, a type of remarkable disconnection from, from accessing our energetic knowing because our training is all about formal knowing, meaning how is one thing not one thing else. And um, that's why um, uh, when I went into acting, when I left Juilliard and went to New York, I mean from New York, um, I, I came out and, and I, because I had always wanted to be an actor, I, I moved into that, that stream and I was very fortunate, but I was also aware as I... Uh, worked more as a professional actor that 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 world had its limitations that you could only do so much navigating and and a great deal then was up to uh the elements of a lot of other considerations of you know of certain people making decisions and um and I was using art as I had learned in Juilliard really <coughs> as uh, a way of asking questions energetically so I'd use it to try and connect with characters I was playing and then when you talked about seeing the show Dallas, I, I realized at the point when I began working on Dallas that 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 you know people would say, oh, you've made it, this is you're, you know great, and I and I thought this <laughs> isn't enough. This really is a type of surface reflection. But I realized I couldn't blame Hollywood. I realized it was a business. It was doing what it thought it needed to do to make money. But it didn't stop me, on the other hand, from beginning to cultivate the conversation that I could have because the the patronage of, of that world allowed me to uh, have my home in Malibu, which is where the, the hieroglyph and all the art really has. And I think what you experienced when you came here is really the life that my wife Carla and I, and then with our two daughters, over the years, we've been here now since uh, for about uh, 32 years, I guess, and and everything that you know, there's been two conversations. And I almost feel that that if we think of every human journey as as Joseph Campbell says, you know, the hero's journey, that it's a recapitulation always of an examination of the cultural values and the sense of is that enough? And when it isn't enough, we're forced by one means or another to uh, take another adventure. And I and I do feel that part of the the process for me was this capacity to then have discussion groups, which I started over 30 years ago in my home. So I had a theosophical discussion group for 21 years. I had uh, groups that we uh, looked at Jung, at Blake, at alchemy, at, at Eastern and Western esotericism. And what was gathering at my home were people like ourselves. That you know, I mean, when you and Laura showed up, your enthusiasm. I realized, and I learned this as an actor, that this is what ensemble is. This is when we energize each other. This is why we love brainstorming because we realize that in so doing, we amplify our sense of what's possible, and suddenly we transcend our own sense of limitation. And that's really why I feel that, that the great root and energy of this weaving together of a, of a public life that really was, to a great degree, the model of celebrity that, that people think they want, but at the same time saying, because I think all of us have been bound to the sense of, if I could get those things, I would feel good, or that would be enough, and we realize that, that, that we, we're now all really moving beyond surface values back into, well, what is my heart, you know, what is my deeper humanity, and, and what can I do to, um, oh, oh, hold on, just, I'm, I'm, yeah, so, 
Okay. Um, sorry. I'm sorry. I had an interruption. <laughs> the uh, um, um, uh, so anyway, the the sense of amplification of coming together really has been the way that. Um, uh, over the years, there's been a weaving together, and, and now the artwork or this story that comes from home is, to a great degree, a bit like the the story of the domestic space that we have to find a way to honor the intimate uh, relationship with our questions. And that's why uh, all of us gathering over the years here in my home, I, I really feel has been that which has set the seed that, that now allows this story of creation to grow uh, as naturally as anything would if it was uh, given uh, essentially the right nutrients. Hmm. Wow, yeah. Um, to me, I, and I think to many, we, we see that the goddess energy has been lost right. in a sense uh, from people's awareness and consciousness, and I feel this disconnection has been the foundational imbalance that has manifested so much crisis in, a, in this world. And I feel your art deeply reveals, you know, the goddess's timeless presence. And it just almost proves that she exists. And I don't like to look at it like proof, but I don't think anybody can walk into your home and, and deny that the goddess is alive. It's, it's real. It's, it's a part of who we are. And it's, and it's so necessary for us to get in touch with her and uh, her within ourselves and the divine feminine and masculine and all these archetypes. So I'd like, you know, you to just share with listeners about this creation story and what your art reveals and some of the archetypes and what the concept of visual philosophy means to you. Well, that's that. Uh, in terms of how this has developed as well, I think is a very good story for all of us to think about because art or creation never asks us to believe anything. It always says, if this is inspiring, may it lead to a greater sense of your own humanity, your own sense of possibility. And because I didn't approach any of this, uh, I didn't seek the goddess, I didn't seek the, you know, I wasn't trying to get somewhere. I really uh, understand how and why the goddess, uh, why the deep feminine, why home grows here. Sophia, who has emerged here, reveals, she says, that I can only emerge within the context of home, within the domestic space, because my story is that you are each holographic, you are whole and holy. And when you return home to the intimate truth of your heart, you will realize that you can stand at the center of who and what you are and know that you are essential to this living library, this question of who are we then as human that couldn't be asked in any one of our bodies but had to be asked by all of us really as an embodied theater of the greater human story and that's why this this emergence of the feminine archetypes of of the color of the multidimensionality of the hieroglyph of the human soul i realized uh began on this foundation of these conversations of the invitation to spend uh, you know because we read books here like we've read a couple of joseph campbell books here so campbell was here we've been reading emerson so emerson's been here so i realized that that there's been a crucible, and that I was very fortunate because when I was working on the tarot, um, I was able to again uh, read the draft in uh, in conversation in group, and so there was a, a relationship of of this this sense of of shared 
exploration. So my drawings emerge in black and white over 17 years, and they will set the, the ground or the foundation for the emergence of the divine feminine. And I begin to see that the black and white tarot drawings that I did, uh, which really taught me uh, really very much as the actor as well, because as an actor your profession is to get out of the way of energy, not to over-identify, not to take it personally, not to let it inflate your ego, but to really more to look at it as a type of current and to see where the current takes you. And as the tarot currents moved through me, as these archetypal energies mentored me, um, uh, I had a fascinating uh, conversation with, with actually with the devil archetype at the end of the journey, and he said, you will realize that as the archetypes were moving through you, like fluid, like water, everything was in motion, but now you've created the 22 doors. The wheel is stable, meaning that you can now sit at the center of the, the, the wheel and realize that with the stable doorways, you can enter into all of these different contexts. And that's where it hit me. I said, ah, I've built a piano. That if we think of the tarot as a piano, meaning the dark and light keys, simply uh, having to do with octaves of perception, but that, that this principle, and this is why I feel the book is so important, I feel the work is so important, because, and that when people have the cards, I always say sit in the center of the cards, uh, surround yourself by the wheel, because what this is trying to tell us is that the journey we have been on, uh, the age of the father, as we call it, the age of separation, was the age of I think, therefore I am. Because when we think, we begin to differentiate between the keys. If I think I am E, I know I am not F. If I think I am F, I know I am not A. And yet finally, when we come full circle, and this is why the archetypes in my home at Olandar are downstairs, and, and again, it's, it's mythic and not intentional myth, but, but again, the perception Campbell was trying to get at. He said, look at your experience uh, with fresh eyes, and when I look at this experience, I realize that downstairs I uh, created the room, I designed the room, the sun room, for my father, who ended up not living with us. He, he passed before he could, but, but it was the sun room designed for the father where we see the tarot archetypes in black and white. When we ascend, literally when we walk up the stairs, we then step into this color that began on 9-11, uh, 2001, and and has grown into the hieroglyph, and as it has grown, uh, because the first entity that was woven of this watcher language, as it announced itself, was the great mother goddess Kuan Yin. And Kuan Yin then um, uh, told me, moved through me with the story, she said, notice that I am woven of the weave of watchers. I am woven of the weave of entity. Everything is whole and holy. All is sentient energy. I reveal now the story of the hieroglyph of the human soul. We are returning home. Our ancient waters return. We no longer will uh, dissolve into them. We can stand upon them and as ancient trees now trust this great root that we are growing out of. And from that, then, uh, all of the different story of the, the feminine archetypes and the story of Lilith, the story of Gaia, have all grown really, to me, I am like a happy gardener. It's not something I'm imposing, but a story that is uh, truly a creative uh, revelation, uh, an epiphany. Hmm. Lovely. I... <laughs> 
really difficult to um, to do. I'm, I'm a little challenged with this uh, this interview, Lee, because I'm I don't want to be thinking of my next question. I want to be hanging on your every word, and 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 just my experience with you is that that it's really a journey with your with your words, with your art, um, and so I'm just. <laughs> sitting with this and I'm like, oh my gosh, how can I how can I be the uh, experiencer of this interview and also um, you know be be uh, co-hosting. But one of the things that impressed me when I was there, and I, I I've gotta believe that this has um this shows up for you um in more than the, the one story that you shared with us. And that is that when you're doing the art, when you when you are in the artist in your in your process you don't always know exactly what's going to come through or how it's all going to unfold. And, and the one story that I loved was about the uh, the phoenix nest um, and and how um, you had dropped uh, the cards and, and you saw that the, the cards on the floor and it created something different that then took you into a whole nother, um energetic can you can you share with us how that happens and and what the process is are you visualizing just about everything beforehand or are you also on the journey as you're in the process you know i never see anything beforehand that's what's interesting yeah. i don't i don't work from like a vision of things and try and relate the vision i see but and I realized it was part, of, to a great degree, how I approach things as, an, uh, things as an actor, which meant you really can't figure things out beforehand. You really have to dive into not knowing and the truth of any performances, that it's, it's continuously spontaneous. And I started to realize, because of my relationship with calligraphy, with spontaneous gesture, and how my art ar- arose out of that, that spontaneous creation, that it was, in truth, a different uh, type of much more ancient science that wasn't about what we would say the fixing uh, into form that which represents something, but much more what I discovered when I was in Tikal, and I began to understand, oh, I understand, we build amplifiers. It's not about building something that represents anything else, and that's why oftentimes with spiritual art and things like that, people are representing or using symbols as a way of telling a story, which is all well and fine. What I find most interesting about what's emerging here is because I'm not trying to, let's say, use a certain number of chakras or a certain number of this or that, that there's this element of spontaneous uh, creation. And when you asked about the cards, about the phoenix Arise. I actually did a TEDx talk, too, which is, uh, if uh, people get a chance, they should listen to it. It's about ten minutes long because it tells the story that I think actually sets the tone, uh, again, for what is the transformative energies upon our consciousness at this point. Because in, in just in, in a very brief, the painting Phoenix Arise, which I created in oil, uh, it took me about four years. I finished it in 1997. And when I published my book uh, in 2003 on the tarot, tarot revisioned, I had used that uh, painting, Phoenix Arise, as a card that I sent out as an invitation. Well, it was sent out. My publishers told me, and this, of course, has a remarkable implication, that 365 invitations were sent out, which, of course, corresponds to the solar year. Some were accepted, some were lost, and some were returned. 
this also tracks with this story from uh, called the Hermetic Oath. These these stories of how there was a proclamation made, and uh, some attended and uh, many didn't. And so that those who attended were given the gift of mind, and those who did not were given reason. <laughs> and from that, so this this mythic premise, though, uh, what happened i put the cards i was putting the the return cards away and i dropped them as i dropped them i the the two cards mirrored each other and i saw a yoni i saw this mirroring of creation and i thought well there's the possibility of birth just thinking visually but then i mirrored the top of the card and there was an a and then I put it together, and there was a double helix, there was a tantra, a weave, and so it revealed a holographic double helix DNA weave, which, uh, of course, I was looking at something that couldn't be sold to a pharmaceutical company, but I was looking at a multidimensional holographic weave that came from a painting. And I started to think about, well, what is a painting? A painting is a spontaneous act of creation. What's a human being? A spontaneous act of creation. So this was telling me through art that our DNA, our holographic DNA, is a recapitulation of the one, the whole of creation, so that as human, we are an art form. And we know from science that I don't wear the DNA and you don't. We all wear the DNA, essentially the weave of the whole of creation. So here in an image that, that fell really from these cards, uh, was this holographic DNA. And I thought that would be the end of it, but I was playing with the cards with my daughter's friend, who was 11 at the time, uh, my, 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 excuse me, friend's daughter, who was 11 at the time. And um, I had shown her this, this design that looked like an umbilical cord or a serpent, and she then just tucked the card under, uh, and we, the first mandala that revealed itself or medicine wheel from these cards or blossom was uh, a nest and feathers, just as in the story of the phoenix. So with the painting called Phoenix Arise, there was the nest. And then I pulled out the cards uh, because they were, they were they, you can pull them out. And, and as I did, just as in the story of the phoenix bird, that once it returns and builds the nest, the nest erupts into flames. I pulled out the cards and it erupted into flames. And not only did it erupt into flames, it created a blossom. So it was showing us in a visual language that, that we, as creation, as an art form, are going from a nesting or contracted to an expanded or blossoming stage of consciousness. I then tried uh, this opening of the painting uh, with the cards, and it turned out that wherever the painting, Phoenix Arise, is opened in this way, it creates infinite blossoms, but not only that, infinite suns, S-U-N-S's, and that each uh, place it opens, there are unique uh, how many cards are called for. And it's nothing that's imposed, it's inherent. So it's, it's very much like, like uh, Pythagoras or, 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 or Socrates in your pocket. It's a fixed visual form. And from that, though, from that spontaneous creation, I started to realize that that was what it was trying to, to tell us, that, that we cannot figure out any more than we could figure out puberty, that, that the question upon us now is, can we love more than we fear? And when this painting blossomed, when Phoenix Arise awakened, I realized that, 
that we are the outcome of a great story that's being told across the ages. And, um, and it's also as it is in the studio itself. All of these are fixed rather than things that are in motion. So it's telling us we're the technology. And I'm convinced that the mandalas that come from the Phoenix Arise will be very helpful in reestablishing uh, equilibrium in, uh, in the psyche because, as, as Jung put it, the mandala is uh, the antidote to chaotic states of mind because it's the God principle within us. So. Oh. Just a bit. <laughs> this is incredible. I, I'm just so glad Mark said what he did earlier because it's hard to come up with the questions when I'm just just in awe of your words. Um, and my next question, you know, really just has to do with the fact that we're really bombarded with a lot of low frequencies in our culture. There's, you know, a lot of broken relationships. There's just, you know, a, a very um, split relationship within the soul, I guess yeah. you could say, or the personality nature, more the personality nature that is, in, in a sense, neglecting the soul blueprint. Um, and I just really want to honor your relationship. You've been married for 35 years and just have what I consider to be sacred union, and I just think it's an incredible example. Um, but I was wondering if you could share with us how the relationship between the masculine and feminine is playing out in connection um, to your book, Adam Reborn and Eve Restored, because... To me, you know, this is the sole story of creation, and I think it would really be amazing for, uh, for listeners to hear how this book came about and what it represents for us today. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you asked me, and, I'm, I, and I really am glad you mentioned uh, Carla and, and our marriage, our love, because this is the greatest gift, and this is why I try to say that, that it wasn't religion or man or science or, or belief that healed my heart and my soul. It was my wife. It was Carla. And this creates a sense of remarkable uh, realization about why it is not on the public stage or in our belief systems that we will finally find a sense of who and what we are and why we're here. But really when we return to understanding that, you know what, being human is difficult. It's not an easy task, and we are bombarded, as you say, by currents of difficulty, and low frequencies, and, and we're asked to try and, and hold so much, and the burden is very great. And that's why I, I, I found that, because I also have, to, you know, with my daughters and with my, my female friends over the years, I've always felt this great desire to tell the story of worthiness, of honor between man and woman, to reinvigorate the grail sense of, uh, may I be worthy? That really became and has become my mantra. I, I don't feel entitled. I don't feel as though uh, things are meant to be given to me because I have somehow come with a, a, a special provenance. To me, the, the whole story of the grail, the whole reason that the deeper side of these stories uh, essentially went underground was because they really conflict with authority. Authority is the utilization of fear for identity. And the, the, the story of love of us is, of course, how do we weather this world together and hopefully grow a garden worthy of future generations. That being said, Adam Reborn and Eve Restored, my, my book, uh, which is a, a revealed story of Genesis, and again, I would not have ever had the conceit of thinking I would have anything to do with writing or rewriting or reconsidering Genesis. But what poured out of me as I worked on Eve, on the lamp, on the, the light pillar in the middle of the studio, in the middle of the hieroglyph of the human soul, 
I she began to tell me a story, and it just poured out of me. And what was interesting, I realized that the week before, I had heard a man and a woman. I didn't see them, but but he had been joking about, well, you know, you're the you're the problem because you come from my rib, ha ha ha. And I thought he thinks he's kidding. But I realized that the systemic problem, mythically, is that we we uh, have in our genetic bank at this point, because of thousands of years of telling the story, this story that men are superior to women. Uh, why did the goddess disappear completely? What is this about? It seems very strange that we have a male-only religion. And so I, I, you know, I realized I'm not going to confront that. That is what it is, and people are, are, are you know, what do you say? Uh, they can, they can believe whatever they wish. But for me, I really felt that there, there had to be a deeper story. And so this story that poured out of Eve uh, and, and flowed through me was the story of, of Adam, you know, really Adam and Eve as, as lover and beloved. This great. Uh, love story that that is about how adam's mind becomes atomized and he becomes lost in the vastness of his own creations because this this dual tree of of, of curiosity and and divine discontent the desire to know beyond the boundaries of what can be known and he falls into time and he becomes lost in its vastness and sophia the great mother begins to cry and from her tears, then, the, the Eve emerges into all of his worlds to remind him of home, to remind him of paradise. And, and of course, in the story that because of this original fear, this sundering, over ages, finally, Adam can no longer see his beloved, and then fear overwhelms him. And it's the story, really, I feel, of, of our de- deeper human journey, which is, is why did we and have we gone through such a sorrowful and difficult and painful and warring period. Why would any species of consciousness do this to itself? And Universal Adam speaks and he says, I gave you horizons to call you your own. You are my infinite sons and daughters. And and this idea that that that, that it's this that we're being given back the gift of of our own capacity but that we've journeyed through this this uh, story of Adam reborn and Eve restored, and and it's it's such a beautiful uh, story. I, I really, if I if I had the money, I would put it next to every Gideon Bible just to have a a, a second you know second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, that that'd be nice. The next hotel I'm room I'm in to see that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, it's a more loving story. And to me, I don't think we ever make sense of any of our human difficulties until we're willing to love. And and in love, we forgive. And this is what I, I, I think, that, that our myths have to be more forgiving at this point. And, and by myth, of course, I mean the story of our human purpose and journey. And that's what I love about what's happening here is because it comes up and says, remember, you are whole and holy. You're holographic. You're the outcome of a remarkable journey, and you are ancient beyond your knowing. So stand in your magnificence, and don't apologize for not being there. You are exactly where you are meant to be. So speak that truth, and you will become the enormous tree that you really are. So that's my little sermon. Yeah, you're making me <laughs> emotional. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, Lee, um, speak to us, if you will, about um, the journey and about uh, when, when, when 
people uh, are there in your in in the room that that has all this art. Um, speak to us about the the journey that unfolds because it, it's not just um, like you're looking at you know one painting or something at a museum or a gallery or something. You literally walk into this artistic creation reflection. Um, what, what I refer to as the, the reflection of our, our true nature. But, but talk to us about how that story unfolds and, and where that takes the, um, the, the person that's right there in the midst of it. Well, it all unfolds and unfolded because of this fluidic language of the watchers. And what was happening and happens and how it's flowed over, as you say, every surface in the room is that... that very much, and I feel like anybody who has acted or dances or 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 uh, is a musician really understands this. It's sort of like following the riff, seeing where the energy goes. And and you know, if you're playing music, you know it's good. You're not figuring it out; it just feels right. So you're leaning into the into the music. And and for me, that's really what I would say that, that to a great degree, this is like liquid music. I think of this now really as as a type of uh, what's emerged is a type of, of celestial, terrestrial, creative womb, meaning that that this this library, this studio, um, uh, has in it um, lines of, of direction essentially that come naturally uh, as we start to see it as a, really a, an environment of the soul and. What I like to point out when people visit, I say, is that you're standing inside of a cave painting, that it is paint, storytelling, and imagination, that you are the technology, and that there's not a right or a wrong way to enter the environment any more than there's a right or a wrong way to enter a garden. But once one has the experience of standing in a cave painting and then looks around and sees the books, the library, and some painted, some aren't painted, but it's an art library, meaning that it's mostly artists and art history that's lining the walls that we could see. And, and I start to understand that that's really saying that, that this is a gathering of uh, the question when we left the cave, the painted cave, it was an empty cave, uh, except for our imaginations, our stories, and we left the cave, really left the womb with this, this question of who are we then. And we entered into the world, uh, and we realized that this question of who are we couldn't be asked in one direction or one context, one time, one religion, one tradition, but that we are such a remarkable species of consciousness, almost like an electron following its its probability paths as it creates uh, the the atom it spins. You know, I started to realize that the life atom might be the following of all these probability threads that finally create the living library, the akashic. And that's where I started to understand and what it started to inform me with was that that this uh, cave painting, this living library, is a map of human consciousness. And that my friend Matthew Bennett, uh, who is a clinical psychologist and deals with personality disorder, he, uh, he and I um, have done presentations called Psyche and Soul on the, the psychodynamics of personality disorder. And in his tradition... And we were talking, he, they, they map the psyche in terms of quadrants, in terms of this, these different relationships of north, south, east, and west. 
Well, once we started to map, um, and I'd always seen the story before this, but with the map, it really started to, to unlock this technology, uh, this hieroglyphic technology, meaning that, that inherent in the relationships here are the stories of our purpose. And as you say, it's not one painting or one painted area. It's actually much more about the relationships between different areas, like how you're standing at a right angle to something or how a right angle is holding um, uh, the west and the north, and that as you look, you'll see to the west the uh, mirror, and this becomes the mirror of self-reflection and unique identity. And to the north, we'll see Sophia and the chalice or the, the grail. And that's hard to sort of visualize if you haven't been here. But, but it's, it's still saying that, that everything is, is taking the space. And I'm starting to realize that, that if we move away from personal psychology to human psychology, what this uh, being or entity or artwork, this creation is really revealing now is that that we are composed of these maps. And so to a great degree, I feel like an archaeologist a lot of times, like I'm just the one given the great honor of wiping off <laughs> the debris, uh, because what it's telling me is not something I'm imposing, but actually uh, it's revealing as, as um, maps of the journey and of uh, that literally we can walk it. That's what I think is so therapeutic and why I, I hope uh, at some point that this does become in different ways uh, recreated is because I do feel that it is, you know, so much of the human condition isn't about words. It's about relationships. It's about how can I hold these different qualities uh, simultaneously. And that's what uh, has happened here. It, it allows us to actually stand inside of the whole of creation, um, uh, recapitulated as intimate space, but it also, in doing so, reveals the story that, that we didn't come from not knowing. Uh, we came from vast knowing. The question on this planet of ours was how can we cultivate intimacy? How can we learn to honor the unique beauty at the heart of that which is uh, small rather than that which is vast? So, it, it, and, and that's why, again, the, the space itself, I think, has, uh, and people feel it, a real deep, uh, sacred energy because there's there's love here. Absolutely. And what I just find so remarkable is there's just really nothing, you know, blocking you. There's no ego. I mean, you're just so humble and gracious and I mean, we Dr. Dream and I walked into your home and I mean, your titles are, you know, actor, author, um artist, visual philosopher, but this incredible music it was coming from the piano and here you are sitting there playing the piano and it was just incredible. And uh, I just want to note that What's so amazing about walking through this this experience and you know seeing this art is that his house is absolutely a part of it. The, the symbolism between the art and the house it's like it's like it, it is the womb. It's the sanctuary of the home, and it's it's working with the art. It's it's incredible. I, I I'd love to hear you know just a little bit about that. But also, what's extraordinary is that it's 3D. I mean, there's 3D glasses that you know sit there, and um, when people come in, they put these glasses on and and this painting has been done in, in, in 3D. How did that get recognized? I mean, what is the story behind the discovery that your art is is like 3D? <laughs> well, you know, it was it was uh um I've been friends with Don Estes for for many many years and and he's a scientist and works with uh music and tone and 
does remarkable uh, work uh, with Vibrasound and these other things he's he's been working with. And he came out uh, early on. I'd been working on on it for about a year, and he said he said, "Have you looked at your work with uh, chroma depth glasses, with 3D glasses?" And I and I and I kind of I just went no. Um, and and he said, "Well, because I work with." Uh, uh, these with with my work and and so I can see 3D without the glasses now and he said this is you know 3D and 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 so I put the glasses on and I don't know I, I almost feel like somebody must have heard me go aha in the back of their head as well because it was such a profound moment for me where I put on the glasses and literally looking down into the floor the floor falls away and it becomes multidimensional and 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 I'm walking on water I'm thinking it's like walking on ice looking down into all these layers and what moved upon me was the realization that essentially all of my work is a thought experiment meaning I'm not trying to prove something I think I know I'm not trying to tell you what I think you don't know or you need to know it's much more a creative inquiry. You know, what and why are we the way we are? I, I was always, I was very compelled as a child by a, a, a physicist who said, you know, well, this chair is nothing more than spinning atoms. And I thought, well, why is it not just an energy field? Why does it hold the form of a chair? So I was really always fascinated with the boundary between energy and form. And I thought, really, as an actor, that's also what fascinates me this this energy and form how do things come into form so when i put on the 3d glasses and it was inherently multidimensional and suddenly i was looking at artwork that i couldn't even comprehend to having created uh but it was there i i really began to take the journey of of perceiving uh the relationship of of how the the ego is almost a reset program, and that the multidimensionality um, and this visual philosophy would bypass the ego uh, and put it in a state of wonder. Like, oh, I I couldn't figure. But I uh, to me that was also I felt with my birth of my daughters. Do you know it was it wasn't something that was unnatural, but actually something that we all experience very naturally, which is where we have those moments where. The story being told us is such a revelation that that we think it couldn't be, and yet when it happens, it becomes well. Of course, this makes so much sense, and that's why I think even when put, people put the glasses on in the studio and look, it on the one hand is so um, remarkable, but on the other hand, it seems like of course this is how it should be. So. Yeah. Amazing, really, really amazing. That was uh, that was a treat for me. I I was. Blown away by everything, and and then Laura said, "Here, try this." Yeah. <laughs> and it was like a whole nother level of, you know, just almost almost too much too much to handle. Um, yeah, but yeah. just because it was just it's it's all right there, and it's it's very much alive. Yes, it is. Um, and as you were saying, and it, it's hard, I, I think it can be difficult for people to understand, but but you would place me in a position and say okay you know at at the right angles like you said and so look this way and what do you see and then look at the reflection here and and i mean it's just it's it's literally like jumping into the rabbit hole in a very comfortable sense you know and and a very sacred sense but it just it i mean you made a comment before that that you know people have been um have been touched by this um I mean, I've got to believe that that 
that people are just like me, and they've absolutely been floored by this and and don't even know the depth of how it touches them. Share with us some some stories, if you will, Lee, about um, the effect that this has had on people. I know Laura said she cried for days afterwards because of all the emotion and just everything that she felt and 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 how it relates to to her myth, mission and path. Um, that couldn't be exclusive uh, to to the two of us. What um, what well, have some of the responses something been? Something that that has been the the, the greatest um, delight. Uh, for me, is because in, in sharing this, and and when people um, come into the space, it is it is as you say, it is overwhelming. It, it is not. We're used to things being sort of safely at a distance on the wall, and we're in control of the art, and it's not. You know, we're. we're but when we enter this this uh, this space, and and uh, and I have found because I, I I would always say that that for me, um, that that the response of of, of woman. Is the canary in the the coal mine, so to speak, and that if 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 like when I give a talk, I realize that that when I would look and women's eyes were glazing over, I thought I have to really turn more toward the truth of energy rather than just talking about formal relationships, and and that's what in the studio I find so interesting and so beautiful is where it were. Uh, so many women really feel they've returned home, and I love that you know the feeling like with Laura, where she said she cried because because I do I feel like there there is this this story here that is wanting to reach out and and hold every woman and man and to say there is nothing to be afraid of. You are heroic, and and so people, I mean, people tell me about about experiences where they they really um, I've had people tell me that. To a great degree, just the idea that they don't have to be an artist, that they can be a creative adventurer, that they can they can do something not to convince their neighbor, but maybe just tell the story they have to tell with those they love, as we find when something is done at home, when it is done in the domestic space. So on all the levels, people really, and I think it's because when you enter a home, you're not, you know, it's like going to dinner. You're not you're not on you're not on guard, and so when you can enter, then. The story of creation, in the language of creation, within the intimate domestic setting, the body relaxes. We can drop our armor, and so for many people, uh, they they've had uh, again this transformative experience, which makes me a very happy cave painter because it puts <laughs> relationship to me. You know, that that that's that's my part of the job. And that's absolutely what it is. It it, it is a homecoming and. It just it's like all the tension of just, you know, wanting people to understand or awaken this within themselves. It was just so comforting and so relieving to just just see it and just be enveloped in it. Um I, I wanna ask you about your other work like the Codex Tor and like the Cosmogramma and, and maybe tell the audience a little bit about what those uh pieces represent. Well I uh, the Codex Tor are, are they're, they're, they're my illuminated uh, books. I spent 21 years on them. I, I bound them blank, these, these books, uh, in a bookbinding class I took. Um, and, um, and, and so I, I would take them with me, and I, I used them as a, a way, again, of asking questions that I always wanted to, uh, I would say my art to a great degree comes from this one question, which was how do I overcome the need to make intellectual sense out of a creative impulse. How can I allow, you know, and, and this is why all of this led into spontaneous creation. So I started writing 
uh, right to left, up and down. Uh, and over the, the week I did this, uh, it ended up uh, turning into these spontaneous languages and taking me on these journeys. And so I, I, I uh, have, uh, the books were then uh, uh, published and the, uh, Flying Lotus, who is uh, Steve Ellison, who is the um, actually the grand nephew of John Coltrane and Alice Coltrane. He uh, um, uh, he knew my work and he really wanted to share it with people because he knew most people didn't know about it. And um, he took work from um, the Codex tour that he selected. I didn't, and 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 he did a brilliant job. Um, for his album called Cosmogramma. So it is only my art and his music that is the whole of the creation story. And it's a beautiful, uh, I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. He's a genius as, as a musician. And, and, um, and so it, but the collaboration was, was extraordinary for me because he, unbeknownst to him, he actually chose from the section where I was working on the idea of music beyond notes and that's what he chose from and then he chose because it was an LP as well as a CD he chose the gatefold as you open the album uh, and it is the awakening of the Aquarian mind or the awakening of the energetics of perception so he actually chose intuitively uh, these these uh, stories and I, and, I, and I found that that uh, then has and there's actually a short video called uh, Inside the Codex Cosmogramma, uh, which he he shot, uh, which is really quite uh, quite good and and shows the books and shows the studio, and but I would I again that was a way I would ask questions that I couldn't ask when I was working on the tarot or when I was painting on other paintings, um, they were books and so they were intimate and that's a different story. I actually have the first Codex posted on my website and people can take a look at, at this process at this journey if they want to and the other one was the, the, the grimoire which I had created a book of magical spells um, for my friend Elias Marriage when he was directing the movie Shadow of the Vampire with John Malkovich and Willem Dafoe well it ended up being cut out of the movie but, but uh, through uh, a circuitous path ended up being selected by Keith Richards um, because a friend of ours, actually, uh, uh, Chris Strand, uh, directed their show, and, and uh, he, they, he got he saw my work, and, and he so they used my grimoire and they, for their bigger bang tour. Uh, he was projected into these enormous screens of, of my my book of magical spells, and I thought, my God, my first public outing is with the Rolling Stones, and here we have our cultural wizard Keith Richard, who scoffs at death. Uh, inside of this magical grimoire, I, 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 it, it, you know, projected on the, this huge stage. So, between Flying Lotus and Cosmogramma, with the Codex Tor, with the Rolling Stones, with the grimoire, these were also examples of of different directions uh, I would go in terms of asking. Uh, questions creatively because I, I didn't have a you know I, I I really have this Renaissance sense that 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 different questions demand different tools and different uh, approaches. Well, and I just really want to encourage people to you know check this stuff out. I mean, on top of this incredible art in his home, um, his tarot. I, I I've been shuffling doing cards for twenty something years. And I've never seen a deck like this. It absolutely, I mean, I just stare at the images. I stare at his art probably at least once a day. But his tarot deck, um, I mean, all of it is just, is, is just extraordinary. So you, we, uh, they can be found on his website. 
Yes, and there's, uh, there's actually a, uh, um, uh, a sample article about justice on, on the website as well, if they'd like to, to sample the writing, because everything comes uh, with the tarot. As I said, I was mentored by the, the creative journey, so the insights, again, a bit like archaeology, uh, go deeper into the tradition, and and I feel as with the images that so much now is is we've studied enough. It's it's trust the imagery, trust what comes to you. And why I wrote the book was I I really did want to move away from, um, or I felt a lot of work was done in a lot of directions, and that was fine. But what what I could offer was uh, uh, really this this inquiry into the theater of the psyche. Why are we wired the way we are, and how does this feel? energetically not to study metaphysics anymore but to actually say let's let's figure out how this works in terms of embodiment and so that's i appreciate what you say about the drawings because they, they really are again like the rest of the art a labor of love oh. <laughs> well, right you, you can't help but feel that about um really everything that you do lee um <clears throat> we, i i when laura and i were talking uh at the beginning of the show uh about uh you know here we are um two thirds of the way through uh two thousand twelve um sort of weigh in on on two thousand twelve on december twenty first on um where we're headed as a collective just i i based on your art and what I know about you, I'd just be fascinated to um to have you speak to this this uh I, I appreciate it because I have found um, in this um, hieroglyph of the human soul, this artwork, that there have been and are remarkable correlations to the the Maya um, end of the Mayan calendar, the 13 Bactum, the turning away from the fourth world, the opening of the gate into the fifth world, and this is all manifesting here. And so, one of the things that I really um, have discovered is that that essentially the the story now is that we have been journeying to the west through toward the mirror of unique self-reflection unique identity and in the quest toward the mirror it has been this sense of incompleteness a sense of not being there yet feeling that somehow if i could get into that other room reflected in the mirror, if I could get to those books in that place, or if I could get to God on the other side, or to the right life, or if I was, you know, that we've always had essentially the, the, the sense of the innately corrupt self, there's something wrong with me, so psychology has been basically a gauge of how am I not what I wish I were, right. and, 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 and a lot of that lamentation now, and this is why it's very important, because Everything in the hieroglyph is about uh, essentially that there's no further to go in any direction in terms of the psyche. And if we think about that, and this is what going back to the phoenix said, is that if we think that essentially as a, as a plant that, that we have been uh, following the bud uh, as we've journeyed through time, strengthening the plant to a great degree like the bud taking a good beating uh, through the seasons, but it, it identifies as uh, itself as uh, the plant that takes a good beating, not understanding that, that actually as the season emerges, it will finally have the strength to now hold its blossom. And that's what the, the element here is getting at, is that, that 
once we get to the mirror of self-reflection, once we realize there's no further to go in a sense of direction, and I think that's what the exhaustion is. People are terrified because there's a sense of we're not getting anywhere. No matter what we do, it just seems to be spinning ever more tightly a web that nobody likes. But if we think about that as as a catalyst, because I always say that we must remember we don't leave the womb because we want to. It becomes toxic. And if you think of a thought form as a womb, meaning that why would we journey, not in this one body, this one form, but why would the human species journey through these 13 bactun, as the Maya talk about? And if we understand, because there's great wisdom there, that, that the bactun are like rings in the tree, meaning that that every quality and condition that we think of as our own, we might even think of as unconscious at this point, has actually been uh, developed through a process of, again, like the plant, evolving so it can hold more and more capacity. And the key here is that we now are, as I say, we're reaching the point that we are beginning to blossom. But this is when we turn away from self-reflection, almost like you could tap the mirror. And I tell people, I say, stand in front of the mirror, have a conversation with someone else, and stare at them. Because you'll realize, even if you stare at them, you're still holding yourself in reflection. You can't help it. And if you think of that as the self-reflective mind, that's the part of us that says, am I taller? Am I older? How am I? Who is this? Am I?" Because it's what we've been taught from Aristotle onward. How am I not this person? How am I not them? Am I taller? So we're judging constantly. And it's not personal. It's actually the way we're wired. And that's why uh, I say then turn away from the mirror and look at the person, because what will fall away is self-reflection, and you'll become an embodied actor. And I see this very much as, as part and parcel of what's happening, that you can even you know, push against a mirror, and you realize no matter how hard I push, I'm not getting into that reflection. And then tap the mirror and say, this is self-reflection. This is the promise of consumerism. If you could get into there, if you could have those things, you would feel yourself, but you're always holding self-reference. And what this is telling me now is that as we turn away from self-reference, in a sense, my small face, and this is why the solstice is very important because the Mayan calendar ends on the winter solstice. Solstice is when the sun stands still. And if we think of that as when we finally find our axis point, where we cease to follow outward condition tomorrow, if I could get there, I'd be myself. If I only had that, I'd be an that 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 sense when we find the axis point is like the earth we stand at the axis and the qualities turn but they do not they condition us but we no longer identify with them as being ourselves actually we see ourselves as a tree as a spine as the outcome and as that happens then the eye at the top of the head which is clo- closes after we are born the eye of wonder is finally given the support of the body, meaning the eyes and time. I can see myself in relationship. I can see the difference between things. But now I can actually turn away from self-reflection as the height, depth, and breadth of what I'm supposed to be. I can realize, as the Phoenix Arise painting shows us, that I wear the whole and holy weave of creation. When I perceive that, I begin to trust my intimate part of this story, and that's essentially what the Living Library is trying to say. When you understand that this question of what does it mean to be human is so vast and that we are so noble and so willing to take on even the most difficult storylines in order to understand not from afar, 
but through embodiment, what this means and what the implication are is because we can only enter co-creative universe with an absolute sense of responsibility, meaning how can I take responsibility for the whole of creation? Not for the sorrows of creation, but to realize that only if I stand up, if I plant myself into the roots of my ancestors, meaning that I begin to honor not just my own pain, but to realize that I honor the story of human pain, meaning that across the ages we have suffered to bring forth this capacity now to blossom. But essentially in that honoring, in that gratitude, we begin to allow ourselves to move toward a story that we can, like gyroscopes now, basically hold uh, the ring of uh, the archetypal ring, in a sense, the keys of consciousness, this truth that it's not personal psychology but human psychology that each of us have, then we will create the foundation, as I say, the ring of structure that we've journeyed so hard, the living library that now says, now with your sense of wonder, I want you to take this library, I want you to take this whole journey of your humanity and compose a, a vision of what it means to be human that you like, one that makes you say yes rather than yikes. Give me a, a, a portrait of human that you can love, that you can live with, that you can return home to and say thank you. And I really do. I feel it's about the etiquette of energy. It's all about manners now. It's about what are we bringing to the table. And so that's why I'm very optimistic about what's happening with the end of the Maya calendar because the entering of the fifth world is one where we finally blossom. And that's what the Phoenix said. It said, said as the Maya, that the fifth world is the age of flowers, and that's what Phoenix Arise is showing us. But the flowers aren't just daffodils. It's the flowering of creation, and that's extraordinary. It is extraordinary, and I, I just really feel that understanding all of this or, or discovering it within is key to our transformation process. Now, there's so many dark forces on the planet. So many people are talking about it, you know, conspiracies, dark agendas, intrusions. And what's your viewpoint um, of the origins of these, you know, agendas and, you know, plans of new world order, a police state, and people's fears of being trapped in this third-dimensional reality? Where, where do you feel they, they originated, and what can you tell listeners, you know, in order to be able to identify the shadow within themselves in order to break free of these fears and these you know, possible scenarios that they might be assisting in co-creating. Well, I, I do think that there's um, there. It's it's a such a remarkable moment as we all know because the dark forces, the 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 sons of Belial and the sons of the one God, the old Atlantean karma, all of this, really the great uh, alchemical uh, story of those that tend toward selfishness and those that tend toward generosity, those that tend toward imagination and those that tend toward fear. And because this isn't a question that was asked in one time, but actually asked in the very, uh, essentially, the alchemy of the human journey, that what we're seeing now really is the, the black blossom, the dark blossoming of all that has been hidden in terms of agenda but essentially what I am perceiving is that, that that is, to a great degree, a feedback system, and that why the energies of regression, this let's build a bridge to the 19th century, is, is so predominant is actually, if we look at it in a larger psychological sense, it's the ego battling to hold on to its predominance, afraid that if it gives in to its imaginative energies, its creative force, it will be swept away, and it will be irrelevant. And so it's fighting for relevance. 
But if we personalize this on, on, on the inner part of ourselves, we have to start saying, well, where is this in me? What's holding on, and why am I holding on to it? What's the point? Are these my ideas, or are they just ideas I'm thinking are mine? Do you know that a lot of uh, what I'm understanding now is that we're at a point to, uh, of developing a type of mental martial art to begin to differentiate the actual from the real. All of what is happening now is actual, but much of it is not real. Much of it is essentially a type of feedback that is saying, listen, you're going to be drawn into this vortex. Of course it's going to make you angry. Of course it's going to make you upset. But I want you to take a breath and begin to differentiate between where your energies are best served. Because the truth is that we are not planting these seeds in time. It's not to convince the surface waters, but to actually utilize these turbulent waters to attend to the seeds that we're planting. That's one of the deep metaphors here, is that, that, that the hieroglyph of the human soul, all of these conditions didn't grow instantly. It wasn't just add water. It was they have grown across the years, and I feel that that's why so many of us have been on this journey for a very long time, and there's a sense of futility of, oh my God, the world's gone mad, but if we think about it on a deeper sense, it's saying, so let go. Don't mm. try to convince a man who thinks he's Napoleon, he's not Napoleon. Say, good to meet you, Napoleon, I'll go tend my garden, because I realize I want to create things that create a worthy portrait of what it means to be human. Not a not a not a reactive portrait of what it means to be human, and I think that's the sucker right now. I mean, you know, getting suckered into to uh, fruitless, uh, uh, angry debates where no one's listening anymore. You know, and and to just use that energy to finally say, so let me apply the the you know, as I felt like on 9/11, I said I felt like Noah. I said, well, let me gather back into the ark of my home the stories I think will nourish my family and generation because I realized the last uh, flood was water and this one's information and so now at the end of the uh, end of the day it's saying navigate from the intimacy of your heart tell the truth of your deeper human story realize you are the outcome that you are whole and holy and holographic and to essentially understand that when to a great degree you could say we're all going to die because we all will die. It should be liberating now, saying, well, then, in the meantime, let's live according to what we wish to express. And I don't mean, you know, by the, the, the things, in a sense, the, the material things we want to do, but how we treat each other, how we treat ourselves. You know, because the mother here says, in mothership, she says, she says, I remind you that there are no evil atoms. If you don't like the stories you're telling, tell better stories. Begin with yourself. I embrace the right. I embrace the left. All is energy. All are my children. And therefore, I give no one the right to brutalize any of them. And that's why I feel that the domestic footprint is, it's about returning home. And that the story here is that the house itself says, listen, we had to learn the language of the bedroom. We had to learn the language of the kitchen, of the children's room, of the, <laughs> the, the, the library. But now we can live an integrated pattern. And when we honor not the surface of things, but understand that, yeah, everything looks like linoleum. So let's take the paint of our consciousness. Let's take the story of our worthiness. Not worry about convincing the neighbor he's wrong, but telling the family why, telling those we share time with, why being human is a great 
and noble adventure. To me, it's up to the storytellers. It's up to the stories we're willing to tell about ourselves. And if we tell only the story of deprivation, of resistance, and of anger, that is the world we will cultivate. That's the co-creative key. Consciousness tells me, it's a bit like a, a scriptwriter saying, give me material to work with. Don't give me your fears. Give me something to work with. And you know what? This is a time of remarkable seeding, of remarkable possibility. And the darkest of moments is when the greatest uh, possible new synthesis emerges. And believe me, the regressive tide is not the truth. It is a regressive tide that is slowing down the blossom because essentially it's from within to without. And that's that's really how I see it. Oh, I, oh gosh, yes. Just sounds so incredible coming from you. I mean, what what were you like as a child? I'm just so curious about, you know, your your, your childhood and just when you first picked up a pen or just a paintbrush and, you know, what your relationship was like with your parents and how they must have encouraged you. And did you have epiphanies or glimpses of what you would become later? Uh, I just would love to just hear a little bit about you as a child growing up. Yeah, I, I grew up two miles from where I live in Malibu. So I, I was a Malibu kid, but it was very rural then. It wasn't a shishi community. It was where artists, my dad was an artist, you know, where people were attracted to the land. You know, so you had horse people, artist people, uh, you know, a lot of other... Uh, um, Creative, imaginative people, and and uh, and salt of the earth people too, of course. Um, but uh, they can both be the same. Uh, but anyway, as a, as a boy, I I was really um, uh, a, a nature kid. I mean, I grew up climbing trees. I loved the ocean. I loved hiking. I loved all of that. And I and I never really thought of, except when I was very young. I do have have remembrances of of, of sort of giving up a type of holographic perception because I realized in, in this world that, that you're not supposed to see past masks. And I, that happened very early on. I think a lot of us have that sense of, oh, you're not supposed to see this way. So basically, after that, and I you know it's a very brief thumbnail of that, but after that, for most of the time, I really, uh, I, I did. I, I, I loved uh, nature. And I, I didn't, I never thought of myself as an artist. My dad was the artist. He was the painter. Um, but I grew up around the Malibu Art Association, which was one of the things that he uh, helped start. And uh, so I grew up around creative people. But, you know, being a kid, I was more interested in climbing a tree or going down to the, the beach uh, and, and um, you know, just uh, walking on the beach, things like that. But um, but it wasn't really until I was I was in my early teens uh, where my my psyche just began to flood into me. It was that, that I had nightmares from about the age of uh, fourteen to twenty three, I think, and so it was as if different triggering mechanisms uh, occurred. To a great degree, I feel that that. Uh, there hasn't been a type of expectation that, oh, this is what I'm going to do or how I'm going to be, that everything for me has just grown out of the questions that I've attended and uh, that to a great degree, I almost say at this point, I feel like the questions I attended attended me, that that almost as if they found a willing um, um, participant in me because I, I was willing to um, just see where things led. I, I wasn't trying to justify myself or prove things to people. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't like a virtuoso. I wasn't like a, a Mozart. I wasn't writing, you know, symphonies when I was six type of thing. I wish I could, but I, I almost feel that to arrive now at this, this manifestation of this quality of consciousness, 
that there is this great appreciation that there was such structural integrity um, uh, created in the way my life has passed, that everything, uh, that I couldn't do the hieroglyph uh, earlier. I couldn't have done that without having done the tarot. I couldn't have done the tarot without having spent years doing the stream of consciousness drawing that I began doing. You know, so so... Uh, but I was always, of course, introspective as well. I was, I was a, a type of romantic figure, meaning I, I preferred the beach, especially as I got older, you know, into my early teens, you know, when it was stormy, and I was because I, I was, a, I was a loner, and I, I was not a. I, I always felt, um, you know, like uh, I, I wasn't a great uh, joiner in the sense that I, I, group identity was always. I, I could, I could do it, but it, it felt more natural to be sort of. Uh, by myself, and um, so I, I, I think that's sort of part of my character. I have both those sides. I'm I'm very good with people, and I also have a very strong loner side that uh, can work as a cave painter <laughs> one time. <laughs> right. I I have a couple of quick questions that just kind of revolve around family. Um, you mentioned uh, about your father uh, transitioning. Was he here to see you as the accomplished artist that you've become? You know, he actually was because he saw my book on the tarot, you know, in its emergence. He saw the early stages of of the hieroglyph emerging, and I really did feel, to a great degree, this sense of that we were ancient friends and peers, and that that he realized that that uh, he had he had gotten me as far as we could go together, and beyond that, it was my, you know, I was off to my adventure. But yeah, I was very heartened that he was able to see um, see the work because then he said some some remarkably. Uh, wonderful things about the work before he passed about you know really this this uh, creating a, a a new threshold for the consideration of of, of art and things like that so i i i really uh, i was i was delighted because he passed it when he was 90 and uh um and actually uh when he passed uh, um i was i was reading him poetry and um and i i felt him pass in terms of uh, quite literally uh my looked and I felt this pain because I was reading um, a poem to him, um, uh, a Rilke poem from the Duino Elegies, and I um, uh, I felt this intense pain, and coming out of the top of his head was this, this molten lightning, this molten umbilical cord coming up through my left hand, and and there was a remarkable uh, story uh, that, that was that was transferred and, and, and related, and I, I began to understand that there really is this, perception now that that we are so we are so isolated but we really are a type of continuum of ideas that that grow through us and that we uh pass from generation to generation a type of of enthusiasm hopefully uh, certainly my father did with me that I feel him even now I mean I can feel him when I'm working on certain things that that we're just slightly off stage together looking at it and looking at me in time going well done <laughs> That's great um, now, Laura mentioned before, um, you know, really honoring you and Carla um, and and your sacred union. Um, Laura and I speak about these things quite often, and and how the two of you are really such beautiful examples of of what sacred union is uh, for for the rest of us, and 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 how wonderful that is to to have positive. Uh, examples of, of how that works and, and how that plays out. Um, when when I came to your house with Laura, I 
we had the honor of uh, meeting uh, your daughter, one of your daughters. And um, so I just wanted to ask, um, and perfect timing because you've just been talking about your father and the um, and and uh, his effect on you. Um, what's it like to be a, a child of uh, Lee and Carla McCloskey, and 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 how did your how was your parenting, you know, affected by this amazing evolution that you've gone through? I really feel that, that a lot of it, because uh, when we look at the artist's story, not as a particular artist, but actually as the human story revealing itself through art, through the story of creation, what becomes uh, apparent for me, I'm a parent, I'm a parent of two <laughs> um, but that that the I really feel that, that everything that has grown here, because the hieroglyph, as overwhelming as it is, has been growing for 11 years. The same thing with the tarot. It was many years. There wasn't a type of of enormous synthesis. And so to a great degree, I really feel that it was the integrating qualities of the domestic life of raising children, going to school, taking them you know, here and there, taking trips together, uh, being a family, having normal family interactions and, and, and experiences and difficulties, you know, that, that, that everything in this art form is trying to say, I don't want art to be abstracted from your life. I really want it to be integrated into the truth that you have to come upstairs, downstairs, you have to be, you know, you have to be able to respond, not, oh, I'm an artist locking myself away, don't bother me, but really, no, more like a, a father saying, oh, you need me, all right, well, let me give you a hand, or let me help, or how can we... Uh, you know, for for myself, not you know, disappear into my creative or imaginative energies, but to keep an ear out that there's also earthly responsibilities. And I think that this is actually very important because we've had this sort of the artist as as off by themselves. That's why even when Carla has been putting together these wonderful uh, screenings, and documentaries, and other things here at, at uh, Olandar, our home. And and in so doing, we've had a, a really a continual uh, flow of individuals showing up. And so they see the art. I take them on the tour. Then there's the documentary or presenter. And so what I've been trying to do is to, to really stimulate renaissance, uh, a sense of shared enthusiasm, and to also say that it's not the artist isolated, but that artists really thrive, uh, any creative being thrives in, in uh, you know, this, this shared conversation. So... That's where I just feel like everything's about the integrating uh, element of home, meaning that, that home says you have to take care of everything from leaky pipes to uh, rat problems to uh, uh, opening to the Akashic Library and letting the, the cosmos in. But, but that's why I think that there's a footprint here, and I think with Carla and our relationship, I have to say that this would not that, – that why what is happening is happening is this remarkable circumstance of these three remarkable women, my my daughters and my wife, uh, sharing with our animals, our anima alls, our soul beings, this this uh, journey together. I, I mean, I really feel like that's what I want to get at, is that art is integrative. It's not meant to be isolated. It's not meant to be about celebrity. It's really meant to be about how do we live, laugh, love, and also just enthusiastically let ourselves express whether it's music or art or you know and and so that's that's really how i've looked at it well i just have to say it's, this has just been an amazing amazing show and i mean you're just absolutely a blessing for humanity 
the labor of love and the work you do is is so deeply refreshing and inspiring for all because you live your passions, you get out of the way of yourself, you feel, you trust. And you know, it's it's something, you know, people really need to remember that there's energy that wishes to move through us. We we really need to let go and and discover, you know, what it has to say because it's coming from us and through us. Um, you know, and just that alone, you know, you're an incredible example as a father and a husband and I'm just so deeply touched to know you, and I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. It really means so much to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lee. Um, just before uh, before we go, uh, let's just remind our listeners where they can uh, find you online, and um, if you have any events or anything coming up that you want to give all of us a heads up about, this would be your opportunity. Great. Um, my um, the first would be my my website, uh, which is Lee McCloskey www.leemccloskey.com, dot uh, com, and and uh, Laura runs the Olandar Foundation for Emerging Renaissance or Offer, and that that is uh, on Facebook, and that's a great way. And then then uh, in terms of my other work, on the front page of my. Uh, website uh, are the different links to talks I've given and presentations and uh, visual essays uh, and I have something about Adam Reborn and Eve Restored I have a sample chapter of the Tarot I have my TEDx talk on Phoenix Arise and the Blossoming of Creation I would very much like uh, to suggest if people are interested in the story of the hieroglyph of the human soul that there's a 40 minute uh, video there which is is good but there's a shorter one called mothership revelations in pink which is about 10 minutes long which i would also suggest because it it gives a sense of the emergence of what the 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 great mother the divine feminine the knowledge of matter mater mother is trying to reveal about our journey and i think it's it's very it's it's a good uh, a good jumping off point but uh so that's and just just uh, continuing to uh, um, sort of grow the garden. <laughs> well, Lee, thank you so very much. Um, in the short amount of time that I have known you and and had uh, and been to the house and met Carla and and one of your daughters and the dog, um, it, it the experience has enriched my life, and I look forward to. Um, to more visits with you, and um, you know, thank you for making yourself available to to share your energy with our listeners, and um, really to grace us uh, with your presence here on Awaken the Dream Radio. So uh, heartfelt thank you. And bless you. Thank you so much. Now, everyone, uh, just a little update on what Laura and I have going on. Um, we uh, last week had our first essential oil play shop at our healing space in Ventura, California. We'll be doing those most Wednesday evenings, so please check with us if you're in the area or you would like to be in the area. Uh, September 15th and 16th in Santa Clara, California, uh, Laura will be presenting at UFOCon, and we'll have a booth there, and we'll be offering sessions, and we'll have products and different things to um, assist all of us on our journey. On uh, September 21st to the 23rd, we will be in Asheville, North Carolina, for the Star Knowledge Asheville Conference. And Laura and I will both be uh, presenting, and uh, that's going to be a very exciting event for us. And then November 11th, 11-11, we're doing an event here in Ventura called Loving the Breath of Life. And this is a special event for us. It's uh, Laura and myself. 
Um, our friend Shama, who is a uh, breath and movement, um, is her passion. She'll be sharing, and then all in a gallery with the art of Jillian Nye. And this is the the first event that Laura and I have done that we really are um, pulling all of what we have to offer together in one event that is not someone else's. And and um, we're really excited about the energy of this. And then December 10 through the 13th is the Star Knowledge Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, this will be quite the event. It will be uh, over the date of 12-12-12. Um, we'll be presenting and uh, be there the entire time. And if you have not uh, experienced the Star Knowledge Conference or the Star Knowledge family, as we call them, um, this would be a great opportunity. Um, our life has just gotten so much more beautiful and incredible um, since we've been uh, doing events um, with uh, Chief Golden Light Eagle and, and the rest of the amazing team that's come together um, with the Star Knowledge family. So, Laura, anything to add before we close out? No, I think you covered it all. Um I, I just look forward to next week's show and just to continue with, you know, unifying and sharing amazing information and just, you know, raising our frequency together and expanding our consciousness. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Much love, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Awake in the Dream Radio. Blessings.